brothers and sisters, I'm Pastor Murphy. We welcome you to the worship experience of the Great Little Zion Baptist Church. It's our joy that you have joined us on this Lord's Day, and it certainly is our prayer that the Word of God instructs you and empowers you, and that the worship by way of singing and celebration blesses you with inspiration as you get yourself prepared to meet the challenges of a coming week. Be blessed. Sit back. Embrace. Soak up what God has for you today. We'll look forward to seeing you again in the name of the Lord. Amen. Don't
Welcome to the announcements for the activities here at Greater Little Zion for the week of September 26th. As a reminder, a schedule of the recurring online meetings and other community activities can be found on the GLZBC website along with other information. The Christian Education Ministry invites you to the Youth and Young Adult Sunday School held each Saturday morning at 10 a.m. It's a great time to gather and participate in lively discussions that have practical application for all of our youth and young adults. Sister Tara McRae is the point of contact and the Zoom link is provided in each weekly email. The Christian Education Ministry also looks forward to your participation in the Adult Sunday School, where the study for this quarter focuses on celebrating God and addresses acts of worship and praise that celebrate both God's divine attributes and God's actions. Each lesson is led by one of Zion's own dynamic teachers and offers a wonderful opportunity for discussion and to share experiences. The lessons are recorded and available for viewing later on the GLZBC website. Sister Lakita Jones is the point of contact and you're welcome to join in each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and stay for our virtual worship service at 10 a.m. The Greater Little Zion Prayer Warriors meet each Wednesday at 6 p.m. and offer intercessory prayers and fervent praise and thanksgiving for God's faithfulness. If you have a specific prayer request, please contact your deacon or the admin office. Deacon Anthony Bazemore and Deacon Calvin Parsons Sr. are the points of contact. Adult Bible study is held each Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. where the highly interactive discussions continue to address and explore how we as a congregation can improve our church membership through the development of authentic relations. Check Amazon or other literary websites if you would like to purchase a copy of the discussion book. If you've already donated a $25 Visa gift card to support the Evangelism and Missions Ministry in their endeavor to provide extra blessings to families in need during the upcoming holiday season, the ministry extends its sincere appreciation. Please note that Visa gift cards are still being accepted through December 11th, and you're asked to please consider donating towards this cause. You can either mail them to the church or deliver them to the admin office on Wednesdays of each week. Deacon Nolan Crockett, Sister Kathleen Crockett, and Deacon Anthony Bazemore are the points of contact. Don't forget to mark your calendars and join the Family Ministries Couples Zoom session on Friday, October 15th at 7 p.m. The discussion on the topic of the submission cycle, love and respect, will be co-facilitated by Deacons Anthony and Terry Bazemore. 
The link to this study, along with discussion questions, will be provided upon request, so please contact them for additional information. The Family Ministry is closing out their September prayer focus on restoration of the family. However, you're asked to please continue offering prayers for families to be rejuvenated and recharged and to seek God's direction in their lives. Please check your emails for a message from Zion members, Sydney and Jordan Rhodes, daughters of Lady and Chip Rhodes. Sydney and Jordan are both longtime Girl Scouts, and they are soliciting your support for a magazine nut and chocolate fundraiser for their troop. Along with Sydney and Jordan, if you know of other Girl Scouts who are family or friends, please consider supporting them in this endeavor to raise funds for their upcoming activities and provide aid in the community. The Prince William County Alumni Chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated is hosting an HBCU virtual college fair on October 16th from 8.30 a.m. to 2 p.m. If you or someone you know is interested in attending this virtual session, please check your Zion email for the registration link or the QR code to reserve your place. The Young People's Ministry of the Northern Virginia Baptist Association, Incorporated, invites you and your family to participate in a series of town hall conversations on stress and anxiety and the impact of recent events on the spiritual and mental health of individuals, our families, churches, and communities. The first of this series will be held on Saturday, October 2nd from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. Zoom information will be in a follow-up email. Just as a reminder, if you're not receiving weekly Zion emails, please contact the admin office to update your email information. For additional church information, please visit the website at glzbc.org. Thank you and have a blessed week.
for my head, shoes for my feet, I've got breath in my body, and if I was just anybody, I'd say. says in Psalm 27 and 13, David said, I had fainted, lest I believe to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And what we've come to understand and know is that even when it doesn't look good, it works for the good, for all those that are called according to his purpose. Y'all help me say it's all good and it's all God everything going on in my life I know it's all God had a few hills to climb oh I don't know what you're facing in your life but I know it's all God. It's all good, yeah, yeah. And it's all God. It's all good. It's all good, y'all. And it's all God. And a few hills to find.
Zion, join me, if you will, with your Bibles as we turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 21 through 28, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 28. We're reading this morning from the New Living Translation, as we have done in the past, and here is what it says, Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Today, we want to preach from the subject, Don't Forget the Power of Your Reach, Part 1. Don't Forget the Power of your reach part one let me say at the outset that i won't be discussing the story of jairus in this sermon uh, it's reserved for part two because jairus was searching for the touch of jesus for his daughter however in this story the concentration is on the woman who reaches for the touch that heals her body. So we want to spend our time looking primarily at the life of the woman and reserve the healing of Jairus' daughter for the next sermon as we watch how Mark used this interesting literary concept to mold both stories together. So in the previous weeks, I have attempted to pass along to you what appears to be the central theme related to the ministry of Jesus. It appears to me that as we look at Jesus in the gospel narrative, he was focused upon a person's liberation, simply meaning he was looking at trying to release them from multiple forms of bondages and oppression. He secondly seemed to have worked to infuse within the life of those he was liberating he wanted that infusion through that liberation to simply be that their life would be moving from the atmosphere or the attitude of shame to self-worth. 
He wanted to erase the shame that life had brought unto them and elevate the self-worth that exists within them. Then there was another thing. It appears that Jesus took their liberation seriously because he wanted them to know that their liberation actually is not complete without spiritually constructing or reconstructing or deconstructing to many instances their lives for human wholeness. Now why that mission? Why did Jesus believe that that mission was so important? Well, one way to answer both questions is to consider or to understand the world in which Jesus lived. A critical point of contribution was the social dynamics or the social dimensions of that world. That was a world that was socially oriented by people who shared in a set of common convictions, who grounded their aspects in their beliefs and their values, in their meanings and laws and customs and institutions, and even in their rituals. First century, Palestinian Judaism was under the political rule, of course, of the Roman Empire. They were dominant assumptions in that context that shaped and ruled the consciousness of the people. There was also this dynamic of a shamed base influence. The shame-based dynamic referred to a class stratified orientation, meaning that you were either a part of the in-group or the out-group. Both the Romans and those who practiced Judaism employed these kinds of groups. There was a great gulf that existed between what we would call the haves and the have-nots. The in-group was composed of that 1% of society, that 1% who were the movers and shakers, who were the political influencers, who made sure that the laws actually depict what their desires was. They were the power brokers of society. And yet that 1% held anywhere between 50 to 60% ownership of all the land in the population. Beneath that 1%, we would find what Karl Marx would call the middle class, those individuals who were the priest and who were military personnel, who were merchants and bureaucrats and entrepreneurs, those who possessed or were reaching for considerable wealth and political power. In other words, they wanted to be a part of the in-group. Then there were those who were on the other side of the equation, those who were deemed as the out group, the shame-based folk. They were the peasants of society. They were the poor of society. They were the working class, those who served the upper class. They were often called degraded. They were often considered to be expendable people, they were the day laborers that we see on the street corners, and they were the hustlers and the beggars. They were the slaves. And in that society, Jesus managed to encounter folk who were valued laden based on shame or honor. 
Those deemed unworthy were marginalized and disenfranchised. Again, they were, of course, the sick and the poor to the extent that such individuals began to internalize that labor, that label of shame-based in their own life. They eventually saw themselves as worthless and valueless and full of shame. They were economically oppressed and they were made scapegoats and they were the recipients of various forms of discrimination. Now, why am I mentioning it? Why is this so important? Well, this was the socio-political, this was the economic and religious context in which this woman in Mark chapter 5 lived. She was a woman in Palestinian society who had marked herself as one of low status. Better said, they had marked her as one of low status because of her condition. She was sick. And although her sickness did not apparently appear to be physically disabilitating or debilitating, I should say, it was yet socially devastating. Her image, her presence was a social devastation to society. Her bleeding rendered her unclean and living in a perpetual state of religious impurity according to Leviticus chapter 15. She, like the leopard, lived in isolation from her community, we know, at least for 12 years. She has a debilitating health condition coupled with her living in poverty, which will eventualize in a decline health situation. She was, although yet privileged enough to have saved some money, accumulated enough money to be able to pay physicians, and whether those physicians that she paid were celebrated physicians whose exorbitant fees could really only be paid by the elite and the wealthy, or whether they were practicing unethical doctors who exploited the poor and the naive, notice the outcome was the same. Says verse 26 of Mark 5, she had not gotten any better. In fact, she gotten worse. Her condition placed her on the same living context as the leper that we had talked about previously, as the demoniac in this chapter itself. Alone, isolated, discriminated, outside the boundaries of love, outside the reach and the touch of her community and family, Simply stated, in reality, the woman just wanted to live like everybody else. She wanted to experience love and she wanted to experience care. She wanted to experience belonging. She wanted to experience humanity and dignity. And yet, her condition rendered her so that she no longer was recognized as such. Instead, she was marginalized by the, by the society. Remember... What's interesting about the story is that it further demonstrates to us, even in our own context, how in our own country we can recognize what this marginalization means in terms of how we compartmentalize people. 
I find it interesting that we can receive Afghanians to the border and we're going to talk about this a little bit later about her reaching to touch the hem of the garment. We can see Afghanistans into the border and give them liberation, but we turn Haitians away and deny them liberations. It's interesting to me how we decide, we decide that. One suffers from a man-made devastation while the other suffers from a natural disaster and devastation. But to compound this woman's problem even more, says Mark 5.25a, she is in the crowd seeking to do as she desired in her spirit, that is to reach and to touch. But by bringing in the crowd in her condition, she will infect others with her impurity. I think it's important that you catch that because when you look at her situation, she has to be in somewhat a very concealing fashion. She can't let others who know her see her because, again, they would without question cry out and would disturb the flow of her moving in the direction to find her healing. Yet, although her state of condition doesn't affect her determination she in return still has to exercise in her own self her faith, her focus, and her fervency to reach out, to get close that she might reach and touch the hem of the master's garment. Yet this woman to me provides some very clear considerations for us to consider as we recognize the understanding of our power in the reach. She's been labeled among those who often are made to forget their power to reach. There are many others who were perhaps even in the same condition or similar who just did not muster up the power to reach where they were to touch that they might be able to experience the newness of life. But this lady, this lady does something magnificent that I want us to experience. First, I want us to notice that when you look at what she did in the text, note she's unconventional. She's a woman who is unconventional. Look at what she does. She makes clear to us reading her story backwards, she makes clear in her maneuvering, look at what the text says, through the cloud, through the crowd, she makes clear a principle that I want to elevate. That principle is that life's problems won't be called or wouldn't be called hurdles if there wasn't a way to get over them. Look at what she does now. She conceals herself, but yet in concealing, she pushes through the crowd and she makes clear to us not to come up with excuses, but to tell ourselves that life's problems wouldn't be called hurdles. And they're called hurdles because although they may temporarily prohibit you, they don't stop you from leaping over them. They wouldn't be called hurdles if there wasn't a way to get over them. And what does she do? She takes an unconventional way to get over them. The conventional thing to do would have been to stay home, 
and stay in her isolated colony and pray that her healing would come to her. But how many of you know that there are times when you just can't stay and wait for it to come to you, but you have to go out and get it. That's what Mark 5.27 says. Look at what she did. She heard, says the text, she heard about Jesus saying, I'm going to where my healing is possible. When I read that part of the text, I thought about the great legendary basketball college coach, John Wooden, who made this comment in sharing with us his wisdom. He says to those who think that you can't do it, don't let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do. Listen to that again. Don't let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do. Notice the woman. She couldn't change the fact that she was bleeding. She couldn't change what people were going to say or were saying about her. She couldn't change how the law itself had viewed her condition, but she knew what she could do. And she knew it was not the reason or the destiny for her to remain in her current condition. There's another true principle at work in this unconventional state by the woman. She not only decided that although I can't change all these other aspects, I can change whether or not I pursue to get my deliverance where it is. It's not here where I am. It's at a distance from me, so I must go and pursue it. And although there's a hurdle, the law is a hurdle, the crowd is a hurdle, her own mentality may be a hurdle, yet she jumps over that hurdle and makes her way to Jesus because she came to understand that although there are some things I can't change, I must go after and do exactly what I can change. I can't let what I cannot do interfere with what I can do. She engaged in this unconventional state another principle. And listen to me closely. Here's the other principle. When you know what you want and you want it bad enough, you'll find a way to get it. Listen to that now. When you know she knew what she wanted, change condition, healing for her body. When you know what you want and you want it bad enough, 12 years had been her existence in terms of this malady. And the question becomes when you consider your own in that context, how long is enough? Because if you're waiting around for the right moment, the right moment may never come. You've got to go and seize the moment that you have. And this woman says to me, when you know what you want and when you want it bad enough, you'll find a way to get it. And what does she do? Didn't matter her what the law says, she found a way to conceal herself and to protect herself from the law. When she heard about Jesus, she found a way to get to her healing. Do you see yourself in that text? Do you see how you may need to be unconventional to get your liberation? 
I'm reminded of a story in John chapter 9 where Jesus demonstrates how you have to be unconventional from time to time. Rather than to send a man whose condition requires that he has an ophthalmologist, a professional, a specialist in vision and eye care, Jesus goes unconventional on us. He uses dirt and saliva. He applies immediately on the man's eyes and then directs him to go wash in the pool of Siloam and the text tells us he comes back seeing. One of the most marvelous things about the text that always has amazed me is once he takes this salve and puts on the man's eyes and then tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, how does he get there? Is there anyone there to help him get down to the pool of Siloam? Must he stumble along the way to get to the pool of Siloam? Does he have a photographic memory of being at the pool of Siloam before? But how could he? The Bible says initially in chapter 9 he was blind from birth. It doesn't tell us that anyone assisted him. I'm in the conviction that when you are desperate enough, when you have the desire enough, when you have the fortitude enough, he took Jesus, just like the woman, they both took this unconventional approach and the blind man believed what had been said to him and found his way, even if he asked for assistance to get to the pool of Siloam, he got there, washed his eyes, and came away seeing. Why? Because he went where his healing possibility was. The woman, she went where her healing possibility was. What am I trying to say? Sometimes you have to be unconventional. You can't always follow the script the way that you've laid it out. You've got to take the side road and go down sometimes and go up sometimes and go around sometimes to get to where you need to be. And this woman did that. She took an unconventional approach and made her way through the crowd so that she could do the one thing she believed that would bring her body relief to reach and to touch the hem of his garment. There's a second thing about the woman. Not only should you notice her being an unconventional person, but notice how she does the unthinkable. Mark 27 says, verse chapter 5, verse 27 says, she came up behind Jesus, watch this point again, through the crowd. She decided that her impure condition deemed by the law would not stop her from getting in the crowd. She could have very well decided that I already know what the law says because that's what Leviticus 16 says. It made it unthinkable in her condition that she'd even get in the crowd and yet she manages to push her way through the crowd. But in doing the unthinkable, she yet underscores what I contend to be another principle. Here it is. Obstacles can't stop you. Problems can't stop you. Most of all, people can't stop you. Only you can stop you. Listen to that now. The people very well may try to delay, but they can't deny. They can delay your approach, but they can't deny your approach. And I might say that to contend that some of us have experienced a moment where we didn't get the promotion, 
We didn't mature the way that we thought we would. We didn't break away from those toxic relationships. We didn't finish our college degree. We didn't launch the business as we, as we had the vision to do so because no one else stopped us. We stopped ourselves. She did what others had said she didn't have the nerve to do. And what was that? She revealed herself to the crowd in that she made her way through so that she could do the one thing that others had not found the strength to do. She reached. See, I'm also a believer that there was somebody else in that crowd or there were those who were on the peripheral who knew, she, he knew who she was based on the garments that she wore. They knew who she was based on her walk. There were characteristics about her that they knew, and I believe they stood back in amaze, wondering, does she have the nerve to get in that crowd, knowing that she is bleeding, she is unclean, and she does. And yet she did what some of them couldn't do as well. She mustered the strength to reach when she got in the crowd. And that's what I think God is trying to get you to do now. Reach, get through the crowd, do what they don't expect for you to do. And in return, watch what happens. You do the unthinkable. It amazes people, but more importantly, it amazes you. But notice another thing. She not only practiced the unconventional, she not only did the unthinkable, but look what happened she ended up experiencing the unbelievable. Look at what verse 27 says. It says she touched and reached for his robe. Says verse 28, she exercised her divine creative right that gave birth to her healing. Not just getting through the crowd, not just deciding to get in the crowd, but she did something that we often neglect and we've been given the divine gift to do, says the text, she thought to herself. She thought to herself. I would contend that she envisioned, that's what happened. She began to envision what she wanted to experience. She saw it before it actually happened. She saw the unbelievable. She had that concept in which we get from God called vision. I believe that the greatest gift that God has given humanity is not sight, but vision. You see, sight is a function of the eyes, but vision is a function of the heart. It's that mental picture of your destiny and by thinking to herself she got revelation she got an unveiling of what her new being could be she copped an understanding of what it would mean to be liberated and made whole keep this in mind only you can imagine only you can nurture and only you can fulfill your vision, that revelation that God has given you in regard to your life. So I raise the question to you, what's your vision? What is it that you've always wanted to do? What is it that your heart desires? 
Because once this woman gets revelation, she does the next viable thing. She takes a risk. She takes a risk because she knows that although I got revelation about my new liberated being being made whole, healed, it won't happen until I'm willing to risk it all. And think about it this way. Don't get too close to your liberation, or maybe better said, don't get so close to your liberation that you stop that you permit fear to stop you and you don't reach and you're right there at your liberation worst that you turn around and go back where you came from. You have come this far by fighting through the crowd, by fighting through your doubt, by fighting through your frustration, by fighting through your failures. You are there and since you're there, you might as well reach for your destiny. You're there. Reach for your health. Reach to launch that business. Reach to heal your marriage. Reach to take that victory in your life. Reach because she did it. She did it. She risked it all for her healing because she didn't forget the power of her reach. And when she reached she got a reward. She got revelation. She took a risk and she got a reward. Says verse 29, immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Let me close by saying that in this year of recovery that we are in, in this now 18 months of a pandemic, I need for you to keep in mind it's imperative that you continue to reach for your blessings, that you continue to reach for your liberation, that you continue to reach in the midst of this pandemic. I need for you not to forget the power of your reach. Now here's a critical point. The Bible says that she said to herself, if I could but touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. I'll be healed. Why the hem? What makes this hem so critically important? Well, if you understand Orthodox Judaism, that is that men wore a tunic that basically reached down just below their knees. The wealthy those who had money, who were the elite, wore the tunic, the tunic that reached all the way down to their feet. But the common man, the person who could somehow afford or be giving a tunic, in return, they would place initially on the four corners of that tunic tassels over time. That change, and they start to round the corners around at the bottom of the dress wear, and they put tassels there but they just didn't put them there for decoration. Every New Testament custom has its root in the Old Testament. And in Numbers chapter 15, verse 38 and 39, listen to what the word of God says to Israel. Speak to the children of Israel, Moses, and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generation and to put, here it is, a blue thread 
in the tassels of the corner and you shall have the tassels that you may look upon it and remember the commandments of the Lord and do them and that you may follow that you may not follow the holotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined and that you may remember to do all of my commandments and be holy before the Lord now let's go back and reiterate Remember, she couldn't reveal the woman who she really was, couldn't reveal that to anyone around her because that would be a serious crime. So again, she conceals her identity. Anything or anyone who touches her would become unclean. So as I said before, upon that revelation, she takes a big risk, but her risk is in the belief that there is healing in the hem of the garment of Jesus. What did she know that gave her such assurance that this Jesus, remember she's a Jew, this Jesus is the Messiah, the one who would bring liberation and salvation, the one who would bring healing. Something assured her that in touching him, he was really the Messiah and that she would receive healing by the touch of his garment. What does that have relation to the Old Testament? We're back there again, and here it is. According to the prophecy in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, it says, But you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, shall arise with healing in his wings. Now, what's interesting is that the word wings used in Malachi 4.2 is the same word as borders used in Numbers 15.38. So the woman knew that if this is the Messiah, then surely if I can just get close enough to the hem slash borders of his garment, I will surely receive healing. She was embracing the promise that the Messiah had healing in his wings. She looked upon Jesus and believed that he was the one who claimed who he was. When she touched the hem of his garment, it was the exact same thing as touching him. She looked at him by faith, and when her faith touched his grace, she was healed. She came to the right person in the right manner, and receive what she had went after. This, in return, is the great faith she put in the scriptures. See, remember back in Numbers 15 about this whole idea of these are the commandments, these tassels are to remind you of the commandments of God. She put her faith in the scriptures as well as having enough faith to trust Jesus that he's the prophesied Messiah to come. By her faith, says the text, she was healed instantly. And let's read the text again in closing. And the Bible says, she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Once again, the borders, the hem of the garment is a symbol of liberation, of being made whole. And coming from this oppressive state 
as many seek to find freedom, liberation, as they come to the borders of this space called the United States, I struggle with how do we receive one and yet reject another? Because all they're trying to do is exercise and they're thinking to themselves, if I can just touch, get to the borders, I will be made whole. And that's the woman's proclamation to us. That's the woman's word trying to tell us today. Don't forget the power of your reach. You can do it. It's in you. You've got to have enough strength and fortitude and faith in God to overcome the hurdles. Don't let what you can't change change what you know you can change. She's contending that when you want it bad enough, you'll find a way to get over to it. This woman did, defying all the odds, and she sends a message to you. You don't have to stay in the condition that she did for 12 years. Finally, the light bulb went off in hearing about Jesus, and she makes her way. Will you do the same today as the good news speaks to you? Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the time in which we have had to share in this moment of proclamation, and we pray in Jesus' name that you will lead someone today who arguably is trying to make their way through the crowd. May they continue to do so even in the midst of struggle and fight, May they not give up but persist that they may touch the hem of your garment by faith that they may reach and be able to experience your divine healing. Today, I'm proclaiming by faith that somebody's name is going to be written in the Lamb's book of life. Today, I'm proclaiming also that somebody today is going to reorient their life. It's going to be changed, never to be the same because they recognize the power of their reach. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I pray that you did that, that you allow the Holy Spirit through this text to speak to you to reach and touch the hem of his garment. We do that by faith, by remaining faithful to the scriptures, believing that God says in his word that he loves us and that he forgives us and that he has come to set the captive free. That's my prayer, that you walk in your liberation on this Lord's day. We'd love to hear from you. If that happens, if you would let us know, drop us a line to let us know that today on this Sunday, my life has been changed and I know I will never be the same in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for tuning in. We thank you also for continuing to support this ministry. And we pray from this day forward continuously that God will continue to bless you and you end up in return blessing us as we co-labor in kingdom business together. Well, always remember that God loves you, and so do I. And I want you to have a blessed, wonderful day and week expecting to reach and touch that you might be made whole. In Jesus' name, amen.